Welcome back to the Reconnected Podcast. I'm here with Gerald today, and we're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to our hearts. I feel like we say that all the time, but for sure this one, um, as we're going to talk a little bit about how to reduce stressors by proactively planning to support executive functions. And this is a really hot topic, especially right now. Um, I'm seeing this all the time with the clients I work with, but especially in the schools that I consult with and work with. Um, Not only are the educators and teachers kind of asking, what can we do to better support executive functions to reduce some of the stressors and help with the flow of um, the academic day, but also from parents and caregivers where they're asking, you know, how do we help with these transitions in my child's day? How do I help to build and develop these skills? And and what can I do to help kind of mediate or decrease some of the stressors that might trigger behaviors related to executive function skill development that maybe these skills just aren't developed yet. Yeah, this is going to be a great topic. You know, we talked about anxiety two episodes ago. And, um, you know, something I mentioned is that the more stress you have in your life, the more likely it's going to bleed into feeling anxious you're more vulnerable to turning stress into anxiety. As I said, stress is not necessarily anxiety. Stress is, you know, activating yourself, your cortisol levels and activating your brain and your mind to do something. Anxiety really is fear of something going bad or something going wrong. And so we we want this episode to be kind of an add-on to that episode to how you can manage anxiety and stress by using executive functioning skills. Because you know, life is so fast now. There's so many things we have to do. And as technology has grown, there's actually more that we have to do. You know, a lot of people do talk about this. Life is more complicated now because everything's at our fingertips and there's just more tasks that we have to do that maybe, you know, decades earlier, we didn't actually have to do everything and everything kind of falls on us because we have technology that, you know, hopefully the technology can make things easier and simpler, but there's also more things to do that maybe we didn't have to do in the past. So the executive function skills certainly help with that. And I think we're all, we, anyone could really benefit from that nowadays for sure. Yeah. So this episode, we're going to talk all about kind of bringing the pieces together. We've done episodes on anxiety, episodes on executive function separately. Now we're bringing this all together to talk about how do we de-stress with EF? Let's go. <laughs> So before we get started, we really kind of have to set the foundation. Hopefully you've listened to some episodes before about executive function. It's a cognitive set of skills, which is often misunderstood. Um, Those primarily reside in the prefrontal cortex, which is the very front part of our brains. So if you were to put your hand on your forehead, that's typically where the prefrontal cortex is. So you'll be able to notice and recognize that that's the part of the brain we're describing and talking about when we talk about executive function skills. It's primarily where they reside. Again, not any one set of cognitive skills functions in isolation. So there's a lot of different systems and circuitry that's going on that we're not going to dive too deeply into here today. But just to understand that this is the last part of the brain to fully come online and get developed. And there's research that shows that typically 
the, these skills will start to come align around, you know, your late 20s to 25, 26. And I would imagine new neuroscience research is going to continue to come out to show us that it's going to be taking a little bit longer for these skills to fully come online closer to when you're 30. And there is some, some research that says that, but I want us to just be mindful that these skills aren't fully solidified until much later in life. However, you know, we do ask young people, especially young children, to do some pretty complex tasks when maybe their brains aren't ready to take that on independently yet, right? So when we're thinking about executive function skills, which we know neurodevelopmentally might take a little bit longer to develop, um, especially when there's influences of um, additional stressors, trauma, and different kinds of uh, mental health challenges that might arise, anxiety, depression, um, and most especially when there are learning disabilities. Um, and I have to just be clear about this. And Gerald, you can speak more to this from your your uh, neuropsych background, but you know, executive function isn't necessarily a disorder that is described medically. It is most closely related to the diagnosis of ADD and ADHD, um, which many people in the ADHD world and field will talk about um, ADHD as a diagnosis, more as like an executive dysfunction, um, because really what we're talking about is an inability to be able to inhibit to be able to use working memory, take in new information and do something with it, and also be cognitively flexible to be able to shift, even know that other options might be available as you're navigating through different situations. So when we think about executive function skills as a whole, we really want to think about how they're basically cognitive skills that allow for us to do things and get things done, especially efficiently. But we also want to recognize that, you know, it, we're not just talking about a disorder here when you and I are discussing this. And, and especially when I talk about this in my work too, I don't really focus on a label or diagnosis, but I would be remiss, we would be remiss to not mention that when we talk about executive function skill challenges, deficits, or as the skills are developing, we're not really saying that this is a disability specifically, though it can potentially be tied to specific learning disabilities or mental health challenges, um, which are under the realm of disability. So we're going to be talking about it globally, about how everybody benefits from support around executive functions. And we'll talk more about why that's important in a few minutes. Um, but we do want to make mention, especially through a UDL lens, that there are some individuals who absolutely need and benefit from supports around executive function, but really everybody benefits from them. Definitely. You know, as you're talking, first of all, a great primer about, you know, what executive functioning is. It's, a, it's complex to explain it all. You did a nice job of explaining it as to set up the, the episode. As you were talking, I was imagining, you know, you said the brain and the way the brain develops and, you, and you, you said, you know, put your hand on your forehead. That's where the prefrontal cortex is, where the executive functioning skills lie. You know, that's where they're activated in the, in the front of the brain. Mm -hmm. I was imagining, you know, like, uh, you know, when someone makes a mistake and they, they're like, they, they regret what they did, uh, which the executive functioning skill they would be, maybe they didn't inhibit themselves and they did something that they regret and they didn't stop themselves. I'm imagining that like emoji where like the, the palm is on the forehead. And oh they're my like, gosh. Or like Homer Simpson, like, don't. 
And I'm like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and it's such a great connection. I never thought about that before. Yeah, and literally, that's the part of the brain that that didn't you know work the way you wanted it to work. Oh right? my to gosh, that's yourself. so good. Yeah, you know that's that the, the irony of that is is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you know, I want to say this about you know executive functioning and stress. So. Let, let's kind of set the stage here. So if, if your life is kind of disorganized and you're having a hard time using all these ex- executive functioning skills, you, you're going to be more stressed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, with mental health and in general, you know, the more that you can control what you can control, um, you know, sometimes your mental health can get better. So the, the idea behind this whole episode is how can you use these executive function skills to reduce stress in your life? Because we all have stress and these skills can certainly help. And you do a great job working with your clients to help with that. Um, and, and as I said, the more stress, the more anxiety. And, and the more anxiety, um, as you said, the less that you're going to use your executive functioning skills. Mm-hmm. Because when we get anxious, let's talk about what happens when you get anxious. Your, your mind gets very simplistic. Right. Like if you have if you're anxious and you're tense and and you're afraid, your mind becomes very um, narrow minded. Right. That's the way anxiety, because we're looking at a threat. We're focused on the threat. That's why our anxiety is is trying to help us is is to help us to avoid a threat. So it, it actually narrows our mind. It's almost like you lose track of everything else that's happening. And it's just you focus in on just what feels so scary and fearful. Exactly. It narrows your mind. It makes it less flexible, less seeing Mm -hmm. the big picture. Um, It also makes us less patient, right? Mm -hmm. And we're rushing around and, you know, like, oh, I can't find something. I'm rushing around to get out the door or, you know, trying to get your kid ready for school or this or that or bouncing around from one place to the other. Or you have a bunch of different tasks to get done and, and, you know, you're trying to rush through everything because you feel like there's not enough time. Um, it can make you, you know, less patient with other people and more short and more irritable, which mm. certainly is not great. Um, and, and less present, right? When when mm. you're more stressed and anxious, you're less present to actually enjoy life, the moments that you can enjoy uh, and, and feel less comfort and less security. So, you know, a lot of ways, you know, developing these executive functioning skills could help us to feel more at ease, more present, more grounded because we feel like there's order. You know, because the opposite of order um, is chaos, right? Is kind of like things are disordered, things are chaotic, uh, which could create stress and anxiety. And and the whole point of your work with individuals is to to reduce that. So there's not unnecessary stress and anxiety. Is to create a little bit more order. And we'll talk about you know ways to do that for sure. Yeah, and you know, you describe a lot of the behaviors that are related to that cognitive set of skills that I was mentioning, and we'll talk more about these fancy words that we're using to inhibit working memory and cognitive flexibility. Those are like the cognitive skills that are coming online that allow for us to do these behaviors that we might more readily associate executive function with, right? So being able to plan, to organize, Uh, In the field and education and psychology, we hear a lot about time management. And I made a joke. I was working with parents at a school this morning and I made a joke that I don't actually think is funny. I'm like, could anybody actually manage and manipulate time? I wish that was a thing that I could do Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I would redistribute how time is Mm -hmm. happening, right? But it's really difficult for us to manage time. 
I actually wrote a song about that. It's called Time. You can't bend it or stretch it. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but I, I, I always talk about it in terms of how do we prioritize our time, right? So going back to being able to prioritize, which actually is a, a higher level skill to understand what's important across different points in time. So I want us to keep in mind the behaviors related to executive function skills. And um, my colleague, Lisa Carey, down at Kennedy Krieger in Baltimore and I are, are finalizing a book right now where we talk about, you know, what are the ways in which we see executive executive function showing up. And often the best way to think about it is to think about the things that don't always go well that we want to improve upon to be able to recognize how we can actually support it. So it's a little bit of backwards planning if you think about it. It's like, oh, if we know that children, students, individuals, partners, whatever the case might be, are having a diff- having difficulty getting ready and getting started in the morning. These are some of the things that are getting in the way. We can identify some of those barriers and behaviors that might not be super adaptive and helpful. And we could say, okay, what are the supports that we need to put in place to be able to allow for that to happen, to go a little bit more smoothly, to be a little bit more efficient? So when we think about, when we look at these behaviors of maybe don't work so well, um, it helps us to better understand what we can do because it's like, where is the stress? Where is the stress coming from? And in my parenting talk this morning, actually, Jerry, you, you saw my slide deck where I actually took a lot of time focusing on understanding behaviors. What are What's the antecedent to the behavior that we're seeing? What was happening contextually, right? Was uh, an individual or especially a child given a demand that was a little bit outside of their reach? Was there a time constraint? Were there other social or interactional forces that were in, in like actually leading to them being triggered or uh, frustrated by something else that they weren't able to carry out a task. Uh, what actually was happening around the behavior that was being exhibited? And then what was the consequence that actually came from it? So, you know, we talk about this both in education and psychology as the ABCs of behavior. We have the antecedent, the behavior, and the consequence. And I was mentioning to the parents that, you know, the consequence sometimes can reinforce the behaviors. So sometimes if the consequence is the parent or the adult or the friend swoops in and pays attention to the big behavior, that might actually reinforce the behavior to happen over and over again. So if we're thinking about a skill that's not yet developed, that we can actually intervene and support proactively, right? If we can actually set up the environment, the circumstances, the expectations in a way that supports the development of executive function skills to be able to pause and say, hey, what do I actually need right now? Instead of jumping to a big behavior, which often is emotional and stressful, um, we can actually shape and change those behaviors by understanding how a consequence might be reinforcing the behavior or a consequence can become a point of learning that we can actually go back to think about, okay, what can we do differently next time? How can we better support you in this moment where we were running out of time as we were trying to get out of the house in the morning, or you forgot to do a part of your homework assignment, or you were feeling disorganized and, you know, your lunchbox was in one place, your backpack was another, and your sneakers were all the way across the house and you couldn't find one of them. You know, how do we help to actually support and shape those experiences that we're reinforcing and strengthening 
our executive function skills to be able to carry out these behaviors that are going to be adaptive and helpful in navigating through your day or a child's day, rather than just kind of trying to problem solve or diffuse a big emotional response in a moment. Yeah. So, and and that can take the guilt and the shame and the anger out of when things are going um, downhill or when things are spiraling, right? Uh, This is a lot in families, right? Like if there's kind of a meltdown because uh, whatever, for whatever reason, uh, or even just for yourself, right? You can go backwards, as you said, let's go backwards and say, what was the skill that was needed to prevent this meltdown from happening? And and what was the challenge and what was the skill? And, And this is actually perfectly in line with uh, what's called collaborative problem solving or mm. cooperative and proactive solutions, which are um, very similar approaches clinically. And there, there's therapies developed around this whole framework. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea behind it is that kids are going to do well if they can. And you have to find the problem that preceded the behavior issues. So, um, and the emotional challenges, right? There's oh, And, and the, the, the framework, the theory behind it is, there's a skill that's not developed or wasn't being used to deal with some sort of challenge and you have to identify that. So, as you know, your examples, right? If the kid is um, arguing with the parent to get out of the house because they're so disorganized and maybe the parent's rushing and, and there's no kind of support to find what they need and they're arguing with each other and they didn't have breakfast because there's no time and all this stuff kind of spirals, you want to be like, okay, let, let's take the guilt and the shame, and the anger out of this. Let's regroup. Mm. come together and collaboratively problem solve what was the challenge and what, what is the skill that's needed. In this case, it could be, well, we have to have a better system in place. You know, maybe the night before we put everything where it needs to be so that when we leave the house, we know exactly where everything's going to be and we just grab it and go. Mm. You know, lunch is already made. It's in the fridge. It's already made. We don't have to worry about making lunch. Um, there's an easier system from getting breakfast ready. Um, you know, so so things are clearer and more expected and more organized, and that would help prevent. It's very preventative, right? It prevents that emotional uh, and behavioral meltdown that could happen. And, and this is not just for kids and families. This is for you know adults, right? You know, <laughs> totally. we need systems in place, right? Yeah. You know, there's a book called Exercise for Mood, um, which is a great book, and it talks about like if you want to get to the gym you know, make it easier for yourself to actually get to the gym. You don't want to have little barriers in the way like, oh, you can't find your sneakers. And all of a sudden you're looking for your sneakers. You can't find them. Like, oh, forget, I'm not going to go because I can't find my sneakers. Mm -hmm. You want to have everything in place and and ready and a system that's going to make it seamless so that when you finally have the motivation to go to the gym, you're not going to, you're just going to go because things are in order and it's going to be a smooth transition because, you know, as everyone knows, you can lose motivation quickly and find excuses for not going, you know, so that's kind of an example of that. That's a great example. Another little Alexicism that I like to share is everything should have a space in place, Mm -hmm. right? So that there's a go-to. You don't have to think too much. And you you brought up a great point about simplification, right? Oftentimes to be able to support executive function skills, especially during stressful situations or when there's a time crunch or a quick transition, you want to know exactly where something is if you need it. Right. And and if everything has a space in place, you can just go right there and have it ready to go. You know, there's there's a reason why there's often a lot of stuff in people's um, hallways or right by their door that they often use the most going in and out because that's where a lot of stuff collects. But if you can 
actually come up with a system that makes sense for you and your family to be able to organize, oh, this is where all the shoes go. This is where the jackets go. This is where in colder weather areas like New England, where we are, this is where the hats and gloves go. This is where the water bottles are, right? This is where your backpack goes. Thinking, this is where your gym stuff goes. Thinking about what makes sense to be able to put things in a specific space and place can totally de-stress a lot of really intense situations when you're trying to make it somewhere. And and once we activate that that shame and blame, it's very easy for us to justify not doing a thing mm-hmm. or to deflect whatever is going wrong instead of investigating what can we do differently to mm-hmm. be able to support this. And you brought up problem solving. And I want to just circle back to that for a moment because oftentimes in these moments, we can't problem solve, whether it's a, a, chi- a young child who can't articulate what they're experiencing in a moment when they might have, you know, a tantrum or a meltdown or just simply having a big emotion in a moment. They can't articulate in words what's happening, especially in those moments. Their behaviors are telling such big stories. They're saying there's something going on here that I can't do right now. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we as adults in the room will swoop in and try to like either say, well, what are you doing? You've been able to do this before. Why can't you do this now? We're rushing. We're late. Now you're going to make me late. Whatever the case may be, our brains, even the best intentioned individuals and humans might go to a place that is saying and sharing those things versus saying, what do we need right now so that we can get to the next step? And then the problem solving needs to happen in lower stakes situations. This is like, you know, you know, maybe after dinner, maybe as you're setting up for the next day, Maybe over a weekend, you're going to say, hey, look, it was really hard for us to start our mornings and get out the door for school or work or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Let's take a little bit of time to strategize together and problem solve together. What are some options we can do mm-hmm. in our home, in our space to set up our environment to support us mm-hmm. to better get going and, and get out there. And one of the things I want to just be very clear about, and I said this this morning to the group of parents, I said, I have a million strategies that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's going to work best, most consistently, is what you feel comfortable with and what's going to work for you and your family. Because mm-hmm. what's going to work for you and your family one day might be different than another day mm-hmm. and different than another family different than another child. Mm -hmm. So you got to really have these conversations because even things that work well and have worked well over time might need to be adjusted also Mm -hmm. because different things come up, different needs have to be tended to. And this is, you know, happening in the classroom all the time where there's certain, you know, fundamental rules and expectations in a classroom Mm -hmm. for the role of the teacher, the role of the student and the role of the student and teacher in different contexts. But even across the scope of a school year, Mm -hmm. you might need to shift and adjust what needs to happen and what needs to be supported or not. So same goes at home too. Mm -hmm. And even in our adult lives, sometimes we need different things at different points in our lives and we make those adjustments. But how powerful is it to have that conversation, to articulate that, to be able to think about our own thinking outside of our own brains with the people that we interact with the most Mm -hmm. to try to see what makes sense. Yeah, and the word used together, that's the word, right? Together, we're going to do this together. It's mm. collaborative. We're going to, you know, um, we're going to do it together because we're a team. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I like I like sometimes the young people I work with, they'll, they'll say, you got to just take the L, <laughs> which means take the loss, <laughs> which, which essentially means like, just accept like this moment is not going well. Yeah. It's just like, okay, take take the loss, take the L and, and move on and we'll come together and we'll, we'll regroup just like a coach, right? Let's yeah. take a time out. Or, you know, during practice tomorrow, we'll come together and we'll figure out a better solution to whatever happened and we'll learn from it. Just like our emotions tell us when something's not going well, that's the same thing. You know, yeah. don't treat your emotions as bad. If you're frustrated, if you're disappointed, be like, all right, well, that's telling me something is off and maybe I just need to make a change. And and to be humble and open uh, and compassionate about that is is sometimes the best way to get through life. Take the L and be like... Well, my emotions are telling me something. Let's regroup because I got to respond to what my emotions are telling me instead of feeling like it's bad to feel these emotions. And then you start to get depressed and anxious. And that's not the point of our emotions. Our emotions are, um, you know, telling us to, to giving us information that could be useful to us. It's not to just, you know, fall into despair because we're not feeling well. You know, I wish we had a better, maybe you or I or those of you who are listening can get in touch with us and let us know. Can we come up with a better term than take the L, take the loss, because I don't see that as a loss. We can use it as L because it's like, it's a learning opportunity for me, right? Even when it doesn't go well, if a plan doesn't go the way we expect it to, and we need to pivot and shift, like that, those are the greatest opportunities to learn. And adults in the lives of young people, I think we could do better at sharing what happens when things don't go well. And to be able to say like, oh, that didn't work. When I was in the classroom, I literally would make mistakes on purpose and have the kids call me out and be like, oh, mystery, that's not right. You did that wrong. And I'd be like, oh, man. And I would show them how to gracefully make a mistake and be able to like learn from it instead of getting shut down from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. My my students say uh, um, in the supervision class, they said, win or win or learn. There's, ah, there's no loss. Let's do it. <laughs> so, let's go. So the L is now learned instead do of loss. I yeah. love that. Take the L. Let's let's have it as a learning opportunity. Yeah, but yeah. you you bring up a, a really good point that, you know, sometimes when the shame, the guilt, the avoidance comes up when things don't go well, um, it can it can really spiral into something more. And I I appreciate um, well, I'm excited about the book that uh Lisa and I have been working on for a while because we talk a lot about understanding what other behaviors might actually be signifying that there's an executive function skill deficit, mm-hmm. right? Like their skill hasn't been developed yet. That's why we're seeing some mm-hmm. of these responses to challenge or to demands that students are facing in the classroom or, you know, humans are facing in their worlds, in their lives. And, you know, some of the things that, you know, Jerry, you and I can kind of extrapolate a little bit more is like we see a lot of procrastination Mm -hmm. where, you know, especially in the learning environment, students are waiting to the last minute to do something. And we talked a lot about this in the perfectionism episode too. Mm -hmm. There's some self-hatred, negative self-talk. You know, we will see some anxiety, often depression, a lot of conflictual thinking like, how can I be so good at one thing and not at another? Mm-hmm. How can I be so verbally astute and sophisticated, but not be able to write a paper? Mm-hmm. You know, what are these things that are getting in the way? Because another thing to remember is that 
executive function is not necessarily correlated to like IQ and intelligence. Just because you have a difficult time getting things done efficiently doesn't mean that you're not capable of getting things done or doing things at a really high level. Just there's these other barriers and other skills that need to be developed to support you to be able to fully complete a task or to take on a greater, more complex challenge. Definitely, yeah. And and by the way, Big plug for your book coming out. Very excited. Long time coming. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's gonna Thank be you. it's gonna be fantastic when it comes out. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely publicize that. Cast publishing. We're really excited for yep. the collaboration for the work. So so here's a concrete example, right? When in my class that I'm teaching for the grad students, they have to um, kind of uh, work on a, a imaginary case in, in terms of counseling and therapy mm. and, and kind of go through all the phases of what therapy would look like. And it's a lot. Like, I, I'm really challenging them. I'm like, there's a lot here that you guys have to accomplish by the end of the semester. And you got the whole semester to work on it. And one of the students raised their hand and they said, um, I have so many ideas, but, um, you know, this is new to me. Um, do you almost have like a template, mm. you know, or kind of an organizer to kind of org- help me to organize my thoughts? And first of all, great self-awareness. Love that. Great advocacy. Uh-huh. And, and as a teacher, I always tell them, like, my job is to help you to learn. It's not to, like, prove what you do or do not know all the time. Like, my, my job is to Preach, lim- Dr. Reed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if, if you're not learning, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. And I have to help you to facilitate that learning. You know, I'm not there to be, like, some authority figure to say, like, you know, like, obviously, they have to learn material. It's not, you know, it's not all on me. They have to read. They have to do the work to to learn the facts and, and the concepts and the ideas. But certainly in the classroom, my job is to help them to learn mm-hmm. and to utilize that learning in an effective way and to, to find out best ways to do that. So they can, because that, that student and many of the students, they're probably capable of amazing things. And sometimes maybe they just need a little bit of a, a tweak in terms of how they're approaching it. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying, you know. Potential is there, and sometimes you got to find alternative ways of doing that. that. That's also in sports, by the way, right? Yeah. I think this is a very underrated aspect of coaching, is that your athletes as a coach, they're not all the same. Yeah. And this could go for music. This could go for other, you know, perform uh, performing arts. Like, people are going to, you know, learn in different ways. And so just telling someone... You know, this is where you need to go. You need to cut at the elbow and and look right for the pass and then, um, you know, drive to the basket, right? Just verbally saying that may not be enough for certain people. Maybe, yeah. you know, they have to slow things down and practice it themselves. Um, maybe they have to even write it down or kind of uh, watch it on video or something to really learn in different ways um, to kind of activate that planning and organization to, to take in the information, to organize in their brain. Because we're always taking in tons of information and one of the executive function skills is actually organizing it in our brain mm-hmm. and on paper or wherever externally mm-hmm. um, so that we can really digest it because we can't expect people to just take all this information and integrate it in an effective or efficient way. And sometimes the information just scattered in their brain and it's stressful, right? It's like, yeah. oh man, I'm trying to like juggle all this stuff in my brain, make sense of it and not only make sense of it, but figure out how to use it. You know, certainly when I was uh, playing basketball uh, early on, I, I wish I had that as a scaffold, actually, is to mm-hmm. have something to organize all the information. I think I would have been a much better basketball player because uh, things happen so fast on the court. I think if it was more clear in my head about how the plays worked and the the concept of the plays and why we did each play and the theory behind like, okay, well, why would you, why would we use this play and so forth? And 
it would really help me to to respond more quickly and stuff like that. That's why, you know, in my field, I, I learned so much and I conceptualize the the stuff of my field, the material in my field so much so that it's just secondhand, it's second nature. I, I understand it on a deeper level. So it's easier to to use this information that I've used in my field because I've, I've tried to master it in that way. Yeah, you know, it, this is kind of why I gravitated to universal design for learning. There's so many pedagogical frameworks and so many different theorists who think and believe different things. But at the core of understanding UDL is to really think about variability in the way we learn and do things, right? Very simply put. And I gravitated towards that for so many reasons. Not only were you and I, you know, we went to the children's house for Montessori preschool, which I think allowed for us to develop some of these skills in a really beautiful, independent way, which, you know, in the Montessori environment, we can have a whole episode on this too. We can talk about all this stuff for weeks, actually. But, you know, in the Montessori environment, there's a lot of predictability, There's a lot of very simple designs in the materials that are used. The actual learning environment is very simple and age appropriate, Mm. right? There's a lot of very intentional design aspects that are built in there. And, you know, when I learned about universal design for learning, I was going through my graduate work from a more neurodevelopmental, psychological perspective. You know, it all made sense right? How do we understand how there's going to be variability in how people learn and do things? How do we support that proactively by setting up the environment? And how do we recognize that contextually speaking, like one person might be very skilled in one context and then actually look disabled in another? Mm. Is it actually a disability in the person or is it like an interaction with the environment or a lack of skills in a certain environment that's presenting that way? that can actually create more of a performance deficit even when you have the skills. Or, you know, what we talk about a lot in developmental psychology is, is this a lack of skill or is this another barrier that's occurring that leads to something that's impacting performance? And that's a lot of the realm of what you do from the mental health perspective is understanding anxiety and motivations and engagement. And like you said, this happens on the field, on the court, it happens in the classroom, it happens in the boardroom, it happens across so many different situations Mm -hmm. that this is why I love the work I do. You know, executive function, you know, it it cuts across all barriers, right? It it really applies to any human being who has a thinking brain, right? And, And that's every, all of us, we all can benefit from understanding how our brains are working, how we interact with the environment and what we can proactively do to reduce some of the stressors that tax those systems that allow for us to do things efficiently. You know, uh, Dr. Jason Fogler, who we have uh, an, a couple episodes where he's come on and talked about things and he talks about how, you know, in the, when we think about the brain, really, we are one of the only living beings on the planet who has this prefrontal cortex executive function capability, you know, outside of maybe the similarity sort of in dolphins, but really that's all there is. Like our our brains as humans are so complex and allow for us to do so many things mm-hmm. that we need to start to learn how to train, support, and develop these skills so we're we're really providing opportunities for individuals to become critical thinkers, to be able to be good problem solvers. And in fact, I would also argue to be good social community members Mm -hmm. who are both navigating in a respectful, mindful, open-minded way 
to be able to support a little bit more of like peace and efficiency in the world, really. Mm -hmm. Because if we can be open-minded and think about different perspectives, understanding variability and how people do and think differently, Mm. we can actually be able to integrate that information with what we care about as individuals to be able to, you know, work towards the greater good. Okay. I went, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but I think it's so important because these skills are related to pretty much everything we see and do in our day to day. I'll I'll pull out some pieces of that then. Um, Some of the younger, um, some of the younger patients I work with, I'm blown away that this is kind of their instinct and maybe, maybe they've been influenced to kind of do this, have more empathy, but I hear them say things like, you know, if I have a disagreement with someone, maybe it's even a deep disagreement, I'm trying to like understand that other person. Well, maybe if I was them and I grew up the way they grew up or I had these experiences, maybe I would think the same thing Mm. as they are, even though I disagree with them. I'm like blown away. That's working memory, holding on to these rules, these understanding of other people's perspectives in relation to your own and then being able to think differently about a situation, it's, oh, it's brilliant. It's, it's being flexible. It's mm. inhibiting, right? Your mm-hmm. impulses to just argue and, and just turn it into a fight with someone. Um, it, it's a lot of skills and that's, you know, amazing. Um, I also, I also want to say, you know, how it relates to anxiety. So prioritization mm. is a really important executive functioning skill. Prioritization is what's important and to what degree is something important versus something else. Mm-hmm. And, and when we can't do that, we, we can really fall into extreme all or nothing thinking. Mm. So this, glad you brought this up. Yeah, like this is completely important and something else is not important at all. And there's no middle ground. There's no in between. And that could certainly lead to conflict with other people. Mm-hmm. It could lead to anxiety within yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it can even relate to the things we worry about. So, you know, and part of what we always talk about in the podcast is the more life experience you get, the more perspective you have to kind of get a sense of, okay, um, you know, what holds more weight than something else in terms of how you can function in your life and be adaptive in your life. Um, Because if you're worrying about everything equally, you know, how's that going to impact you, right? And that's not to say you shouldn't worry about things. Like if you're not worrying about things, you're not paying attention to things that you need to pay attention to the, mm. to realize, you know, the things that need to be addressed in life and in your life and the world in general. But that's not to say that, you know, you should always worry about this one thing. And so, you know, part of even, um, you know, therapy and even mindfulness, right, is to kind of label and categorize categories of things you might think about and worry about and say, okay, this kind of fits within, let's say, worries that are more ex- existential worries, right? And I'll have mm-hmm. you know patients come talk about these big existential worries. Okay, well, if you worry about these existential worries all day, every day, what's going to happen? It's going to consume your life. It's going to cripple you with anxiety because these don't have solutions right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. They're way too complex. And so is it is it more effective and efficient and adaptive to categorize that as a more big, big bigger larger, huger um, uh, existential worry. And and you can postpone worrying about that for a particular context. Maybe mm. you have conversations with someone uh, certain times of, of the week or the month, or you can process it on a deeper level. But to think, be thinking about this when you got to do your homework or when you're talking with, you, you just want to hang out with your friend and have fun because yeah. you want to also prioritize other things in your life. You know, it's important, as, as we're saying, to prioritize so that you can function in a more well-rounded way throughout your day because your day is not only one thing, your day is a lot of different things. 
Wow. My brain just went into like 12 different directions from saying that of things I want to share. And, and one of them is that um, a friend of mine just sent me a, a video, you know, on social media, people just sending little quick reminders of things. And it was talking about how, you know, thinking about a hundred years from now, where we'll actually be. No, oh, jeez. <laughs> right? Our, uh, personally, our lives will no longer be continued, right? I would be 100 in my 141 at that point, right? So I wouldn't exist. The things that I've been collecting over my lifetime probably won't exist. I might only exist in hopefully the book that I've created or a picture in a family's album. But when we think about the amount of time that we have here together to be able to make change, to be able to support and enjoy life in general, Mm -hmm. it's like such a really small amount of time. Yeah. And the amount of time that we spend stressed or worried is so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And and how do we prioritize where our energies and our focus go is so important. And it's interesting when you talk about, you know, prioritizing friendships and doing work. And, and in my work, I think a lot of times the clients I work with, regardless of how old they are, they're kind of surprised when I say, I don't want you to just focus on schoolwork all the time mm-hmm. because in fact, that will burn you out. Oh yeah. If I were to work with an adult who's like, oh, I'm trying to be better uh, organized, more efficient with my work. So I don't feel so burned out. I wouldn't say, oh, you have to spend more time on your work. I would say, how do we balance out to prioritize where your energies go? Mm-hmm. But the the thing to remember, especially with individuals who are developing executive function skills is that their priorities might be, I, how do I feel better in this moment versus how do I get the thing done that has a deadline, mm. which is a really tricky nuance that we need to be clear about and help to build some awareness for young people as they're developing these skills and better understanding themselves, because that is a thing that can get in the way. And this is where procrastination pops Mm. up. A lot of all or nothing thinking. Or overdoing something. Overdoing something, overcompensating, or this, you know, we see this turns into perfectionism a lot of times. But I want us to be really clear about that. I mentioned social media in a video, and there's some really beautiful things that can be shared there. But there's also some messages that are very black and white there too, right? That we want to make sure we're we're teaching, supporting, and having conversations, not just with young people, but with each other about like where the variability lies, how these messages, these images, this information, we need to prioritize it and filter it for ourselves too so we don't fall into black and white thinking. We need to always remember that often the truth, the reality, the efficiency lies somewhere in the middle. So, so let's, you know, let's think about the executive functioning skills as it relates to anxiety. So if you feel like you're, you're never good enough mm. and no matter what you do, you're, you're never enough, which is in a lot of ways perfectionism, your motivation to do things is out of fear. Mm. And you may, you may do things, you may do things you don't need to do because you're overdoing it because you don't realize uh, doing your best is enough. And so the executive functioning skill would be to prioritize, you know, what is enough mm-hmm. and to prioritize that. And also to be proactive around uh, your time. And I know you said you can't manage time, but you can certainly allocate your time. Yes. And to say, well, you know, this is the best I can do for this project and I got to spend time with my family or I got to make time with my friends to just have fun. Yes. And that's a proactive thing. And you got to realize when you're acting out of fear or when you're acting out of proactivity, about what's going to help your well-being. 
And, and that takes some reflection and some thought, um, but it's an executive functioning skill, you know? And we, we get consumed by, everyone gets consumed by fears, right? You got insecurities, you got, you know, relationship stuff, or maybe you're worried about something that happened in a group, in a friendship group. But, you know, our fears can, as, as we said before, narrow our attention on one thing mm-hmm. and prevent us from prioritizing other things that could be useful uh, and also, you know, stop us from planning time in different ways. And um, that's why even using a schedule, so it's there and visual, right? <laughs> like get a schedule going and say like, you know, like 9 a.m. Uh, on Saturday. Well, maybe you know, maybe people are not doing things at 9 a.m. on Saturday, but, you know, pick Me a time. Me and my clients are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some are, some are not. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, pick a time to do something fun, you know, and just yeah. put it in your calendar so it's there, you yeah. know, so, so you don't have to think too much about it. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to just bring it back because that point alone is probably one of the most powerful things that resonates for my clients who realize, oh, once I get it out of my head and onto paper, once I can visualize it, I can see it, it becomes more concrete versus mm-hmm. this thing I'm thinking about doing. Mm-hmm. It makes it a little bit more concrete for me to say, okay, I got to get this done. And from there, actually, and let's let's dive a little bit into some of these strategies to support the development of these skills. Mm-hmm. We mentioned a ton of things over the course of our talk so far. But, you know, once you see and you can visualize what needs to get done, you can make some approximations. Like it will probably take me about, you know, 20 minutes to start this part of a project. Mm. And then you could break it down even further and be like, okay, if I need 20 minutes to start this project, what are the resources that I need? How am I going to set up my environment to minimize distractions and to be able to focus in on this one task at a time? Or maybe you need to even break that 20 minutes into two 10-minute segments Mm. and reassess what you need to be able to shift and stay focused to carry out the task. Mm -hmm. You know, the same thing goes with simple chores at home, whether you're a child or an adult. You know, I always say, can you make a playlist, like three or four songs Mm -hmm. that, you know, you have a designated amount of time that, you know, you're doing something enjoyable. You've got some music going in the background. Hopefully that'll keep you motivated and engaged while you're doing something else. I call it, you know, we're grouping these tasks together. Can you maybe pick an enjoyable preferred thing to group with something that maybe is less enticing or interesting or preferred. Yeah, I think I think the people uh, who live next door are probably not too happy that I'm blasting music when I'm doing stuff in the morning, <laughs> putting the dishes away, making my smoothie. But hey, yeah. you know, it, it makes it enjoyable. It makes it more enjoyable. And then it makes it more engaging. And in fact, it like wakes up the, the different systems in your body and your mind to help you get started. So, you know, think about how we can actually group things together. I always say, especially when you're studying or you're taking notes or doing homework within reason, right? Be mindful of who you choose for this because you want to make sure you have the same goals. If you're studying with somebody else, that becomes both a social interaction that's reinforcing, you know, learning um, or studying or preparing or consolidating where you have somebody you can bounce ideas back and forth off of. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the beauty of you and I working together and some other colleagues where we touch base and say, hey, what do you think about this? And sometimes that's both making a connection, which we know is so powerful and builds up your 
your mental health capacities to be able to feel good about yourself, but also that you're you're problem solving. You're working through something. You're organizing your ideas a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And this is the other thing to think about is sometimes when we feel really disorganized, we can make it concrete and clear by writing it down, but that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Right. Sometimes we do need to talk through it. Sometimes we need to use visuals in different ways to be able to construct an idea to think about what the next move is or the move forward from there or to even consider different options. Yeah. Like when I was in grad school, I used uh, Microsoft OneNote, which Mm. is like a a digital journal, Uh, not journal. It's like a digital notebook. notebook. Mm -hmm. What are those five star notebooks we used to use? Uh, it's a bit more um, complicated than that, but it's super, it helped me so much, right? Yeah. So if I had a, an idea or if I read an article, I'd be like, all right, this is going to fit in this tab, in this uh, area of the OneNote Such a great so that example. I can go back and all these ideas that revolve around this topic or this category are going to fit in here. Mm. And it was, it, was a, it was a life changer for me because I had so many things going through my mind that I had to organize. Um, another point you made too, you know, we talked about this in the emotions episode, change the context. Mm change the context. And, you know, so many people um, that we work with do work and homework um, in, let's say, their bedroom because that's their space, right? Whether it's their dorm for a college student or, uh, you know, just your bedroom, wherever you are. And, you know, maybe that works for some people, but you got to realize your bedroom is associated with rest and sleep. Oh my gosh. Or other things, right? But it's, you know, relaxing, whatever. And so your brain is going to be triggered to not be in the state of mind to like get up and go and 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 get those cortisol levels to, up to to do your work and to feel motivated. So, you know, and maybe you're in the same room for the whole day, you mm, know, mm-hmm. so you got to realize how your environment and the context could affect, you know, the way you're, you're able to get things done and sometimes changing it, right? Go, go to a coffee shop. Maybe that works for you. Put on some classical music while mm-hmm. you're doing work or you know, change it up, but try different things. If you're stuck, as you always say, what do you need? Maybe you just need to change in context and environment that can make a huge difference. You know, when I was in grad school, going to a coffee shop was great for me. I just had to get out. Mm-hmm. I like moving, you know, mm-hmm. and going for that walk there was important for me. Mm-hmm. Just being around people and zoning into what I was doing, putting on some nice classical music, that that worked for me. It's not going to work for everybody, but got to realize how your environment could affect you. This is another great piece of advice. Actually, I was talking to Jelani and a client yesterday and he shared a really great piece of advice. Uh, Jelani, who was in season uh, two, episode one, we interviewed him. He's a, a Broadway performer and an incredible person, just human being. But he was talking about, you know, the question was posed to him, how do you keep your Um, your energy level going for singing so many songs and going through so many performances every night when you're on Broadway. Mm. And he said, you know, what I actually do is I train my body and I practice. Mm. And and it was really cool because he said, you know, sometimes I get on the treadmill and I'll, I'll start walking up a hill or go for a jog and I sing the songs I need to be ready for. Oh, wow. And I just thought that was so brilliant. And in fact, Jelani, I'm going to start doing that for myself because when I'm doing workshops, I'm sometimes talking for hours, you know, engaging with people as I do every day in my work one-on-one or in groups with people. But, you know, keeping that momentum going, building up your capacity to even be able to like move your body and make those neural connections. There's such a strong mind-body connection. So if you're studying, you're trying to remember something, sometimes just like 
getting out and listening. You know, I'm a big audiobook fan where I can, you know, drive or walk or jog and, and listen to the book. Mm-hmm. And that's often so amazing to be able to reinforce some of that information. Doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just get outside and do nothing, but just be outside and go for that walk because that's also calming your nervous system down to lead to more mental cognitive clarity. Mm -hmm. And again, like you're saying, Jared, you know, just listen to what you need. Understand and test out different options. We don't want to fall into the trap of all or nothing black and white thinking. This is the way I always did things. This is the way I have to do things. You know, we need different things at different points in our life, depending on what the demands are. And oftentimes, especially for young learners, the demands might be greater than their perceived ability, mm-hmm. right? So when the demands feel like too much, even if they have the skill set to be able to meet them, if they perceive them to not be accessible or, you know, within their their reach, they might shut down before they even get started, mm-hmm. right? This is, again, that limbic system prefrontal connection that we described at the beginning of the episode, that if we are perceiving or get nervous or stressed about something, or, or especially if we are anxious about it or depressed that we can't even face it, you know, we're not going to be able to activate those executive function skills to be able to do whatever it is or even attempt it. So this is the other piece too, is like we want to be able to build in opportunities, especially for young people, to be able to test out little challenges, often in lower stakes situations where they can, you know, figure out what works best for them. They can have these experiences when things don't go well. What do you do? What can you do? So that when we're faced with a challenge that is actually higher stakes or is timed or has social components of other people around you that's influencing how you're going to perform and do, that you you have a toolbox of skills and experiences to draw from that helps you to move forward. Yeah. You, you know, the more I think about what is, quote unquote, success in life, and let, let's just say in your career or something, right? Let's just use this as an example. Um, I feel like success quote unquote, whatever you, want, whatever you want success to mean to you is so much of how well do you deal with things not going well? Yeah. And that to me is one of the biggest fundamentals of being <laughs> successful in whatever you're doing yeah. is how well do you handle things not going well? It is essential to be able to do that gracefully and with these executive functioning skills and, you know, you're not going to be able to do that perfectly well. That That's unrealistic. Um, but I feel like it's a good thing to aspire to, mm. is to think about success in a different way. Flip it on its head. It's like, you don't have to be perfect at everything. You don't have to, it, it re, And I really think it's the reality of life. How well you handle the things not going well is, is, is in my opinion, it's always going to help people to keep growing and evolving and get better at something. It's just you're always going to find challenges. You're always going to plateau and you're always going to, you know, be the, be the, be the fool in a lot of ways and, and how you handle that, like, you know, without getting overly anxious, overly perfectionistic, overly stuck, overly rigid, overly resentful, overly, whatever you want to call it. I think there's so many ways we can get stuck and, and it's not that you can't do it. It's that you just are stuck and you haven't broken out of whatever is holding you down and the chains that are, are holding you back from, 
from from moving forward in a way that makes sense. And sometimes it's not even moving forward. Sometimes it's moving, as you say, to the side mm-hmm. or stepping back mm-hmm. and then proceeding in a different way, you know, whatever that is. But I really, the more I think about it, and this, I was thinking about this last week, it's like, I really think that, you know, you're not going to better better at anything if, if you can't do that. Yeah, I'm going to make two quick points um, to what you're just saying is that, number one, I mentioned here before on the podcast that I I often will tell the people I work with, I care less about the plan going exactly as you planned. I care more about how you recover if it doesn't go well. Yeah. Right? How do you, how do you respond in the face of something that doesn't go as you expected? Because that's where the learning happens, right? That's the take the L. Yeah. <laughs> take that learning opportunity. But then to to your other point too, I want us to also consider that. Real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, please. It's, it's like a grieving process though. Mm. You know, like, and, and you're not going to be a Buddha here where it's like, okay, wow, that went horrible. <laughs> Everything's fine. Let's look at the clouds. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's not a bad thing to try <laughs> and see if it works for you, though. For sure, for sure. <laughs> you know, but it's it's a grievance. Sometimes you're going to be angry. Sometimes you're going to be upset. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to resist. Sometimes you're going to be in denial. Resent. Right? And resent. Like, it, Frustration. You're going to have moments like mm. that. But the point is, like, how can you still, as you say, recover eventually or work more quickly as time goes on because you learn how to, mm. how to how to do that in a different way next time it gets, you get a little bit... Uh, uh, more graceful as as time goes on, but that's a process in of itself. Sorry to interrupt. No, totally. It's such a great point, and and that you know those emotions are are real, and that's okay when that stuff comes up. But it's again, it's like how is it impacting you? Like we talked about the, on the anxiety episode, anxiety is not bad. It's just when it takes over your world and it prevents you from doing anything else you want to do or a go- or goal you want to work towards is where it gets complicated and we have to do something and look at it a little differently. And, and real quick, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm keep interrupting. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Younger brother. <laughs> Take it. Um, you, you know, and, and part of doing this, and we, we keep coming back to this because, you know, it, it's a more of a... Um, a kind of a fundamental way of looking about life to feel secure with your relationships yes. is going to help you to do that better. So, so keep nurturing your important relationships. And if you, if you feel like you don't have it, you know, try to expand yourself to, to open yourself up to it, whether it's a mentor or an extended family member or a really good friend, right? We, we got to feel secure enough that we can take the L mm. that we can pull back and, and, and go to our safety nets and, and, and to feel like, okay, life is still okay. Yeah. Life is okay. I feel connected to this person. They believe in me. They're going to be patient with me. They're going to still love me. Right. That is underrated. But you actually, you weren't interrupting. You were kind of sharing my second point I was about to make. Uh huh. Is that sometimes being okay is okay. Mm. Right. We don't always have to keep striving for more, changing constantly. Sometimes it's like, let this percolate for a little while. Let's just kind of be right where we are, practice, feel more secure, which will build up our confidence. And ultimately that that bridges connection to the people you care most about. Because when you're showing up in a way that you feel comfortable and confident, whether it goes well or it doesn't, and you're like, yeah, that's okay. I'm okay where I am right now. That's actually a really nice place to be. Mm-hmm. And it's a great example to show young people that we don't always have to be the goats like we've discussed before. We don't have to be the greatest of all time. We don't have to be superhuman. We don't have to be able to do it all. 
And we also don't have to regress backwards and shut down either. Mm, Yeah, regress is a good word. Sometimes just being in that space where you can show up and kind of get through a day and a day is okay, is okay. 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 So we talked about a ton of different things here. And again, like I said, we can talk about this for weeks. And in fact, you and I often do all the time. Um, And I do in the workshops that I do with educators and parents alike. Um, But there's a lot to unpack here, Jer. There's a lot to really dive deep into. There's a lot to explore. And as I say to everybody I work with, there's a million strategies and supports and skills I can tell you. But the most important thing we can do is try to reframe how we think about things and really consider what's going to be most helpful in different situations that is going to expand the possibilities of who you are how you engage with others, and how you explore and navigate the world. So what I really want to emphasize here as we wrap up this episode is I want everybody who's listening to take a step back and pause, right? Can we inhibit what is happening in a moment, any of the emotions, any of the thinking, any of the things that are coming up for us? Can we press pause and assess like, hey, what's one thing maybe I can focus on and work on that might enhance my executive function skills. I keep calling them now. My new thing is to call them executive function enhancers, right? EFEs. (laughs) (laughs) What are the things that can help enhance our executive function skills? For me, I, you know, without a doubt, every night at the end of my day, I have a nighttime routine where, you know, I brush my teeth, I wash my face, I do a little, uh, you know, face lotion that kind of like relaxes and calms a lot of the stressors that I hold on to in my face, like that one thing I know every single day is going to happen. And believe me, there's a lot of things that happen in my day, but I know that that's one calming thing that I can do for myself that actually allows for me to reestablish and ground myself for whatever comes next. Yeah, those routines are so important, right? Mm. You know, for me, it's that that calming playlist that I have that puts me to sleep or having tea at the end of the day. when, When I know when this time happens, Work is over yeah, and it has to be over. I'm, I'm making that hard deadline because I need to do that for myself. Yeah. You know, and that, there's different versions of this. And I, I really appreciate you, Lex, because you brought executive functioning into my life, you know, <laughs> as the, you know, the expert in this uh, area that you've really grown into. And um, it, it certainly helps. It certainly helps. It's important. I'm grateful. And I'm, I'm also hearing listeners say, oh, Alexis, Jerry, tell me more things to do, yep. right? There are plenty of things to do. And we're happy to share more tips as we go through future episodes and through more resources that we share and in our work, but, and in the book, but also really thinking about how we can replenish ourselves so we can lead to having a greater sense of organization order and clarity in our worlds because a little bit of proactive planning can oftentimes lead to peace. And how do we find a little bit more of that in our day, even if it's just for a few minutes to reset, to re-engage. So that's my offering for you all today. How do we de-stress with EF? Mm. We can do some proactive planning to find a little peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas, but it is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. 
If you are in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, local hospital, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, theory, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but it's not intended to represent opinions of those we work with or who we are affiliated with. The Reconnected podcast is hosted by siblings Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed. Original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. Editing and recording was done by Cybersound Studios. If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Reconnected podcast will be releasing new episodes every two weeks each season. So please subscribe for updates and notifications. Feel free to also follow us on Instagram at Podcast. That's Read Connect Ed podcast and Twitter at Read Connect Ed. We are grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meanwhile, be curious, be open, and be well. Mm-hmm.